you want to arm yourself with every skill you can, even if you think you'll never need it. But the skills that you learn outside of work could very well be what propels you in your career. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you will meet Beth Boaz, who credits her communication skills with advancing her engineering career. You will hear how her early interests led her into engineering, how she overcame obstacles as a female engineer, and how one colleague pestered her into joining Toastmasters, where she honed her leadership skills in some surprising ways. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and on this program, we talk about the power of telling the story of your work when you give a technical presentation. The program, as you may have heard, is a mix of content and conversations, and today we're going to have a conversation. The conversation that I'm having today is with my good friend, Beth Boaz, who I've known for several years through Toastmasters. And Beth shares my interest in communicating about technology technology topics, see, I don't edit, um, because she is also an engineer by background and training. So you're going to hear shortly from Beth Boaz. Welcome, Beth. Well, thank you, David. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of your podcast because I really believe in its message. So I'm pleased to be included. Well, I'm pleased to have you here. Pleased to have you here. Um, and what I, I guess what I'd like to do to get started is, uh, for the benefit of my audience, which I'm assuming is made up of scientists and engineers, that's who this is intended for, uh, or really anyone who wants to give better presentations, especially technical presentations. Why don't you establish your credentials? Tell me a little bit about your engineering career. All right. I I got into engineering kind of through the back door. I was a product of the 1970s. I was a big environmentalist. So I really wanted to be an environmental lawyer, and I wanted to take those big polluters to justice until I got to college, and I looked at those pre-law classes, and I went, those sound really, really boring. <laughs> Unknown reasons, I had been assigned the head of the math department as my advisor. And he kind of sat back and said, hmm, well, how about instead of environmental law, how about environmental engineering? And so like that, I went from being a lawyer to being an engineer. I spent my entire career, almost 40 years, with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, working designing dams and water treatment plants and canals, doing some construction. Partway through that career, I started veering a little out of the technical area and into the area of project management. So I have a credential as a professional engineer, but also as a project management professional. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about how communication skills came to play in making that little detour in my career. But had the technical background and the communications 
skills, retired, but still keeping my hand in some things, doing consulting with Team Tipton, who works with teams to achieve outcomes, and a lot of technical teams, and also writing a chapter of a book on infrastructure. A good, <laughs> also a good combination of technical and communication. A combination of technical and communication. Certainly sounds like that. Sounds like you're, you're keeping your hands in there. Um, I'm always interested in people's stories of changing directions. You know, I changed directions. As you know, I was in broadcast engineering for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, because of being a, a subject matter expert and a new technology being deployed industry-wide, I got involved in the training effort to support that, and at the end of that training effort, decided just to go in a new direction and stay with training and public speaking and leave broadcasting. And I've always been fascinated by how people go from a field where you're, you're, you primarily have technical training uh, to going in a different direction where soft skills become important. You've mentioned communication, and you've mentioned leadership, and I'm interested in the path by which you discovered those aspects of yourself and their importance and how you developed them? As I mentioned, I wanted to be a lawyer when I started out. And that was because I had done some communication. I'd done some college debate and high school debate. So I came in with a little bit of communication skills and maybe some leadership skills. I probably wouldn't have recognized them at the time. I think a lot of people maybe not so much these days, go into engineering because they think I can be locked in my little cubicle. I don't have to talk to anybody. But as my career progressed, more and more of the work is done by teams. Having good communication skills then to be a part of a team, then kind of as you excel at being a part of a team, you progress to being a leader of a team. I became a a supervisor in a field office. And at that point, there was a need for somebody that could bridge the gap between the technical and the public. We were doing some very high profile projects that involved modifying some dams that was impacting the public. I became the voice of the technical project because I could take those communication skills and translate engineering into English and do it in a way that people could really relate to. So you, you were the translator of uh, mm -hmm. engineering ease to English, you said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Um, was that the, the point in, in your career at which you, you recognized the, the value of having those engineering, excuse me, having those communication skills? Uh, was there a particular moment when that became really clear to you? <laughs> Well, I think the, the real moment, the, I consider this the highest compliment that I received in my career. Maybe not, but I was working on a project. Our public information officer would always accompany me on interviews with the media. And one day she was busy and she said, well, Beth, you can just handle this interview yourself. She said, and you are the only engineer I would let talk to the media. And I think that was the point <laughs> I realized the media really, okay, they're used to dealing with the public information people. But if they get information straight from the technical people, they feel like they're getting the straight story. And you need someone that can do it with a minimum of jargon, technical speak, but still make it understood. And I think that was the moment when I went, 
I have found my path. Found your path. Okay. Um, Part of that path, I know, uh, includes getting involved in Toastmasters. I've heard you tell the story about your friend who persuaded you to join Toastmasters. Uh, Can you tell us about that? Yes. I, as I mentioned, I had been a high school debater, a college debater. And when I was working, brand new engineer, and like anyone new in a career, feeling a little, oh, I don't know, am I ever going to get the hang of this? I had a boss that was very critical. I was feeling a little down. And I had a coworker, Floyd, and every Wednesday at 1130, he would say, Beth, I know you're, you're a public speaker. Do you want to come to Toastmasters? Do you want to come to Toastmasters? I finally joined Toastmasters for two reasons. One was obviously to get Floyd off my back because I was tired of hearing him harp at me every week. But at that point, I thought back, I said, when I was doing debate in high school and college, I was, I was kind of good at it, and, and I really enjoyed it. And I recognized that what I needed at that point as an insecure engineer was something that made me feel confident again. I went to one meeting, Toastmaster meeting, joined the club the next week, and that was, yeah, many years ago. <laughs> I have held all kinds of leadership roles at a local level, at an international level, and really hone some leadership skills in the process. What's the most memorable leadership role uh, or most memorable experience in a leadership role that you had in Toastmasters? I had the distinct honor of serving two years on the International Board of Directors, which represents Toastmasters around the world. One of the things that made it so interesting and that prepared me for some professional experience is that your board consists of all very strong leaders. To try and get a whole room full of leaders to dialogue with each other and make decisions taught me some important skills about keeping focused on the mission. That as long as you can keep all of those individual personalities dare I say egos, focused on their common goal, you can really accomplish some remarkable, remarkable works together. So that was a learning experience for you in leadership as well. Exactly. And how long were you uh, in that position on the international board? It was a two-year elected term. So I spent two years as an international director, did TV interviews, met with corporate executives to try to form Toastmaster clubs, did training. It's a very, a widely varied role. A widely varied role. I bet you've had some fantastic experiences with all those different audiences you've been in front of. Yes. Is there, is there one in particular that comes to mind? <laughs> I, I, um... I always like to incorporate humor into my presentations. And when I would be speaking as an engineer in front of Kiwanis, Rotary, local service organizations, a female engineer using humor really, it didn't compute. They were not expecting that at all. And there was a meeting where I was going to be one of the speakers, and I had this great opening line prepared, something about how do people become engineers, and it's because they don't have the personality to become an undertaker. And I, <laughs> she 
shared with the person I was sitting next to, I'm going to tell this joke. And he said, that'll be great because a couple of our our members are funeral directors. (laughs) To which I went, maybe I should change my opening. He said, no, 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 no. They'll they'll get a kick out of it. (laughs) So, So I learned that sometimes you never know who's in your audience and how they're going to take your message. (laughs) But they did take it well, I must admit. (laughs) (laughs) So you did use that and they took it well. I did. On the authority of probably the president of the organization who said it would go over well. (laughs) That's great. Um, what, what is one thing that you think um, more engineers need to know about the value of building some of the skills that you've built other than your engineering skills? I think more and more, people, a lot of people get into engineering because they want to make a difference. They want to help in some way. And while pure technical skills are always needed and are always valuable. The power to be able to share your technical knowledge with people, whether they're other technical people or whether it's the public, I think that's how you can make the biggest difference is if you're able to share your message in ways that people can understand. I think it also conveys your understanding of a topic, if you can make it understandable to others. I think sometimes people lapse into technical jargon because they don't have a good fundamental understanding of the topic at hand, not to point any fingers at people I know. I think that being able to explain something clearly in lay language indicates to me that you understand it very thoroughly. That you understand it very thoroughly. I would agree with that. Yeah, because you can repeat words without, or acronyms, jargon, as you Mm -hmm. say, without truly understanding what they mean. Yeah. 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 When we come back, um, I have a a couple of questions in mind about your your role as, I would imagine, a minority of uh, among engineers as a mm-hmm. as a woman and as a uh, a speaker engineer with a sense of humor. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to take a short break. This is the power of story and science. I'm David Odie, my host. I'm my host. I'm the host. Um, my guest today is Beth Boaz, and we'll be back in a minute. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. 
Welcome back. I'm David Odie on The Power of Story and Science, and with me today is my guest, Beth Boaz, a fellow Toastmaster. Uh, in fact, we met through Toastmasters in Golden, Colorado, and a fellow engineer, although we practiced completely different kinds of engineering. And I know that when I was a practicing broadcast engineer, uh, some of the most brilliant engineers I encountered were women, and yet numerically they were in a minority. And I'm wondering if that was the case for you as well, Beth. Oh, definitely. When, when I was in college, I was in the Society of Women Engineers, and we used to have these heart-to-heart -heart talks about, oh, they won't even need this organization in the future because it'll be equal percentages of men and women. And that really hasn't happened even all these years later. Yeah, I imagine not. What um, what kind of conversations did you have uh, among your fellow uh, women engineers in that organization? Just curious to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that we would talk about and probably is still talked about in those circles today is why is it that more women don't pursue from whatever, pursue, that's the word, <laughs> pursue STEM careers, science, technology, engineering, math. <clears throat> and one of my theories, a couple of theories, one is that there's still that kind of nerd vibe and no young woman in fifth grade, sixth grade high school wants to be seen as a nerd, even though there's lots of engineers with a sense of humor and public speaking skills. And the other is that we still haven't we haven't trained counselors to push women in that that direction. Uh, uh -huh. So, so you think we need to, to work on that at the school level? Get more counselors to to steer women in that direction, young women. Yeah. Now, and I know a counselor that probably is no longer with their school district because a young lady came into their office and expressed an interest in engineering, and the counselor said, oh, "That's a really tough field for women," and which wouldn't have been so bad except for this young woman's mother was the head of one of the engineering departments at the University of Illinois. <laughs> so I don't think she probably took kindly to the counselor saying, oh, women, women shouldn't go into engineering. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. One of my uh, early mentors, um, actually someone I knew when I was back in college, she was a, a faculty member at the time, and I, I worked for her in her lab. And it so happened that she... Uh, was an engineer before she started teaching at the college and uh, was female, as you might have picked up, and left-handed. And the only relevance of that is that her father was also an engineer, and she loved to tell the story about the time uh, someone in a meeting with her father was trying to explain that the solution someone had proposed just seemed awkward. And and the expression he used was, uh, it, it looks like something that would have been designed by a left-handed lady engineer. <laughs> And this gentleman looked at him and said, my daughter is a left-handed lady engineer. And, of course, the other man just crawled under the table. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Did you ever have any any encounters like that where the fact of your being a, a woman engineer was a, a, a point of uh, mirth or conflict or anything like that? I did. Now, now, in my actual workplace, the federal government is very open-minded, very equal on men and women. But 
part of my job at one point was to attend water conservancy district meetings. And they tended to be in older, rural, male, dominated field. Mm -hmm. At one of these meetings, I was to be one of the speakers, but it was the first time I'd attended this meeting and nobody really knew me. And as I was walking around the table, one of the older gentlemen handed me his hat and said, could you put this on the rack? Make yourself useful as well as ornamental. <laughs> to, no. to, I was really not prepared for that. Fortunately, my boss, a male, was also sitting there and he said, I'll get that hat for you. I think that the gentleman that said that was a little surprised later in the meeting when I got up to speak. He had assumed I was an administrator, a secretary, a wife of someone. So when I got up to speak, I, I hope anyway that he felt a little bad about his previous comment. <laughs> I should think so. I should think so. Now, did you feel the tiniest bit good about being described as ornamental? Or not at all. I, well, yeah, I guess, but I was more just taken aback. Like, <laughs> taken oh, aback. Where did that come from? <laughs> I can imagine so. I can certainly imagine so. Um, so you, you uh, spoke to, uh, it sounds like, a variety of different audiences while you were in your role as an engineer. Uh, yes. You were talking about the Water Conservancy people and, and being the public face of a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that was something that your 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 Toastmasters experience has certainly helped you with, right? Exactly, yes. And and later in my career, I focused in the area of dam safety, keeping dams safe so they don't endanger the public. And got into uh, we had an annual dam safety training, and somehow I was tapped as the MC for those. Oh. And, and an earlier one, I was giving a presentation presentation updating on one of my projects and the MC at that point said oh well here's Beth Boaz we always look forward to her presentations because they're so and I thought he was going to say educational informative insightful he said entertaining and I went okay well I I guess that's good but I had hoped for something a little loftier (laughs) so somewhere along the line then I got tapped to be the MC of those and keep things flowing I'm trying to get people to come back from break by saying, okay, after the break, I'll tell a really funny joke. And then I'd spend the whole break going, what really funny joke am I going to tell? I'm forgetting it back. Oh, you set yourself up for that, didn't you? I did. (laughs) What's, um, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here again. What's the most interesting um, Toastmasters speaking project that you recall preparing and what made it interesting? Toastmasters has a program called the High Performance Leadership Program. You recruit a a team of other Toastmasters, mostly over other Toastmasters, to help you complete a project. And most people pick a project like organizing a speech contest for three or four clubs. I guess I'm a Toastmaster overachiever because I picked as my project serving as the host district chair, so the volunteer coordinator for a convention of 1,500 people and 200 volunteers. A little over the top for what most people do. And it 
turned out to be a great learning experience because I, you know, I've been a Toastmaster so long. I said, yeah, what do I have to learn? And I really learned the power of having an advisory team Mm -hmm. and of working with a team of volunteers and being like a duck, which is you try and look really smooth on top while you're paddling like crazy underneath. A great experience, but I'm not sure I'd repeat it. (laughs) So that's when you learn to be a duck. (laughs) Smooth on the top and paddling like crazy underneath. You got it. (laughs) It's a good description of things that we do sometimes when we get involved in in big events like that with so many moving pieces and and so many people involved. Um, So as you consider your leadership roles that you've had in Toastmasters, the speaking experiences you've had in Toastmasters and both of those things as well in your career, team leadership, being the public face of a, uh, of a project, what advice would you give to, let's say, uh, your younger self or uh, someone starting out right now in engineering about how to prepare for those twists and turns that your career might take? I always think, and maybe I somehow knew this starting out, you want to arm yourself with every skill you can, even if you think you'll never need it. Starting out as an engineer, did I think communication skills would be necessary? No, I pictured myself in a cubicle doing drawings. That was back in the days of drawing by hand. But the skills that you learn outside of work could very well be what propels you in your career. Through Toastmasters, you, you learn how to how to motivate and lead a group of volunteers by focusing on the vision, by instilling, inspiring people. And I thought, you know, I work for the government. I can just tell people what to do until the very last promotion that I received. I was suddenly leading a multi-agency team where each of the participants already had a full-time job and I was responsible for getting them to take on responsibilities above and beyond their already eight-plus-hour-a-day job, which is where I drew upon my Toastmaster skills and said, I have to treat these people like volunteers. I have to keep them motivated that what they're doing is important and keep them inspired and motivated and and wanting to be a part of the team. And it it seems to have worked. So I think the message is gather every skill you can, whether or not you think you'll need it, because you really never know what skills are going to aid you further along in your career. Gather every skill you can, even if you don't think you're going to need it, because you just never know. Mm-hmm. You just never know. Um, you know, I have, uh, I have a story that I sometimes tell about my about an experience I had as a as an actor in community theater, and I I just started doing that as a lark um, twenty years ago, and um, never thought it was building professional skills for me, and yet I, I did learn one very important lesson when I fell in the middle of a performance. And dislocated my elbow and broke my arm in several places. And, of course, the show must go on. So I finished the show that way. And that's when I learned uh, that 
in, in times of great stress, you will do what you have rehearsed. People ask me, why didn't you stop the show? And I would say, because I never rehearsed stopping the show. I had no idea how to do that. All I knew what to do was to get through the scene and keep going. And I was the cowardly lion, so I had a big furry costume on, and I just had to safety pin my arm to my chest and keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Do all your gestures one-handed. That's right. That's right. The costume changes were quite interesting. Um, And we finished the show that way, and I had the dislocation reduced that night in the emergency room and surgery to put plates in my arm the next morning, and I was back in the show the next weekend. (laughs) And Mm. did that help me in my speaking career? You know, I can't point to a specific instance, but I do know that I've gained confidence in the power of rehearsal. In times of great stress, you will fall back on what you have rehearsed. Mm -hmm. So I ask people sometimes, what are you rehearsing? Are you rehearsing falling? Are you rehearsing getting up again? Yeah. Yeah. You just never know what experiences you have or have had that will propel you forward in your career. Definitely, yes. What a delightful way to end our our conversation. I've enjoyed this so much. Um, Let me give you uh, uh, the parting word here. Uh, If someone wanted to learn more about you, what you're doing now or what you have done, what's the best way for them to contact you and follow up? Well, they could email me at Beth at BethBoaz.com. If you have questions about Toastmasters, engineering, how the two combine, women in engineering, any of those, feel free to reach out and I'll get back to you. That's terrific. Beth at BethBoaz, and Boaz is B-O-A-Z.com. Got it. Did I get that right? You did. Okay. And if anyone wants to contact me with feedback on this program or suggestions for future guests, the easiest way to do that is to go to storyandscience.com. That's the homepage of this program, and as you browse that website, you'll see buttons that say Schedule Consultation, which is an easy way to grab 15 minutes on my calendar for a Zoom call and talk to me about this program or, or communicating about science and technology in general or anything you like. I'm David Odie. This is The Power of Story and Science. Beth, it's been a delight having you on the show. It has been my pleasure. And to all of you who are part of the Story and Science community, thank you. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.